Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right, so let's get to our menstrual masterclass. And we are now in week three. And at this point, we are assuming that ovulation has happened. Now, ovulation typically happens about somewhere between 10 to 36 hours after we see a surge from luteinizing hormone. And luteinizing hormone is the hormone that surges just ahead of ovulation. And the reason why there's such a large gap, we have that 10 to 36 hour mark, is because we don't actually know precisely where you are in that luteal surge, luteinizing hormone, pardon me, that luteinizing hormone phase. So Once you release an egg, that's ovulation, depending on the health of the egg, it is only going to live for another four to 24 hours maximum. C'est tout, okay? Four to 24 hours. So if you are looking to get pregnant, you have hours to make sure that the sperm hits the egg, or maybe put a better way, that the egg selects the sperm in the vicinity, because that's actually what happens. The sperm don't uh, actually penetrate. You know, it's not just a race to the finish. It's the egg that actually signals which sperm she wants, like a queen. So your best chance of getting pregnant, if that's something that you are interested in, is making sure that your sperm or the sperm is already waiting, kind of in and around the area, waiting for the big event to happen. So having sex at ovulation, of course, is important, but what is more important is getting your freak on before ovulation so that the sperm are there waiting because sperm can live for up to five days. 
How crazy is that? Like they pack a picnic, right? Like they pack, you know, pack some food for the long journey ahead. So I think that that's incredible. And of course, if you are looking not to get pregnant, then, you know, looking for alternative, uh, you know, themes and thematics for play around this fertile time. And I apologize. I still have my late night DJ voice. If you didn't tune into Monday's episode, um, I lost my voice last week. It is coming back now. And uh, this is what happens when I lose my voice. I think it moves down like one octave and uh, I have what I like to call the late night DJ voice. So, okay, on to the luteal phase. So once you ovulate, okay, so now the cells that were producing estrogen and testosterone, um, the granulosa and theca cells respectively, are going to now become something called lutein cells and they are going to start producing progesterone. This is a hormone that is unique to the luteal phase of the cycle. And of course, as a natural consequence, your progesterone starts to rise. Now, progesterone in week three only happens after ovulation and it will reach a peak. Uh, Progesterone will reach its peak about for, you know, assuming you have a 29 day cycle around somewhere between day 19 to 22. And this will drive up over the course of week three. It's going to drive up your core body temperature because that's what, that's one of the many effects that progesterone has. So while you know, when you see your temperature starting to rise or starting to spike, you know, if you are measuring your basal body temperature, for example, you have already ovulated. So if you are waiting for, you know, you to jump in, in bed with your significant other, um, and you're waiting for that temperature spike, you have already ovulated and you are already producing progesterone, which is another reason why we want to make sure that the sperm is sort of hanging around in the tubes a couple of days before you ovulate. And progesterone has many, 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 many effects. We're going to talk about some of the systemic effects that progesterone has in the body, but as it relates to your menstrual cycle, it is going to prime the endometrium for implantation, right? Because that's, you know, whether or not you want to get pregnant, that's the goal of your reproductive biology. So it is now going to um, increase, um, it is going to increase or priming the endometrium rather for implantation. And another thing to also consider a lot of my uh, patients that I've counseled or clients that I've counseled will describe a sort of pain that happens around ovulation. The technical term for it is Mittelsmerch, which is uh, of German um, derivative, meaning literally pain in the middle, Mittelsmerch, uh, pain in the middle, so pain at ovulation. And a lot of times women will reach for pain medication or NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories around this time. And this is a no-no in my opinion, because what you are feeling, that cramping that you are feeling is partially under control of something called prostaglandins. Now these play a critical role for implantation of a fertilized egg. Now, if you take these pain meds like the mydols or the ibuprofens or the acetylic acids, um, you are going to potentially augment 
you're going to potentially attenuate the role of prostaglandins, right? You're, you're trying to relieve your cramping, but in doing so, you are going to reduce your ability uh, for implantation. So just a note there to, if you if you're able to ride it out, if you're able to just stay away from some of these pain medications that will reduce prostaglandin activity, because you actually want those prostaglandins there to facilitate and assist with implantation. Now, because we are now in the second um, half of the cycle, the luteal phase, I want to also tell you that a normal healthy luteal phase is anywhere from 12 to 16 days. Anything under 12, we might classify as a luteal phase uh, defect. And this is going to affect the amount of progesterone that you have uh, that is made. And of course, it's going to affect implantation. Okay, so in week three, we have this initial drop in estrogen for a few days. This actually happens right before ovulation. And then towards the middle of week three, again, we start to see estrogen rise and stay elevated there for about another week. And so now you have this transient hormonal environment that actually looks a lot like week one of the cycle, right? We have low levels of estrogen in the beginning of the week with rising estrogen towards the end of the week. Now, of course, in week three, we don't have high levels of follicular stimulating hormone like we do in week one, because now that's being inhibited. And the, of course, the major difference again is going to be that rise in progesterone. So I want to talk a little bit about the wide ranging systemic global effects that progesterone has on the body. And a couple of interesting things to note for you, why progesterone is so important. First, um, if you are somebody who suffers from PMS-like symptoms, and that often is something like, you know, breast tenderness, it can be moodiness, it can be um, anxiety. One of the things that progesterone does is it helps to reduce breast tenderness, and it also helps to inhibit the formation of cysts. And this is because there are certain um, metabolites of estrogen um, production um, for my... um, for my my Betty nerds, this is uh, the 4-hydroxyestrogen metabolite that have an, a certain affinity for the breast, and it will down uh, it will down regulate. It'll almost dampen the effect that this metabolite has on the breast and breast tenderness in general. Of course, um, it also prepares the breast for milk production if you're pregnant, um, and when we think about um, this 4-hydroxyestrogen in particular, this estrogen metabolite, um, it is a proliferative um, um, metabolite, meaning that it will retain its ability to activate the estrogen receptor, which is what leads to that breast tenderness because you still have estrogen activating the receptor when it shouldn't be. And progesterone helps to prevent that as well as the onset of breast cancer by counteracting the effects of excess estrogen. So progesterone is really important when it comes to our breast health. Um, Of course, with the ovaries, I've already mentioned this, but it will help to shed the endometrial lining each month. Um, And of course, it helps to make the endometrial lining, a five-star hotel, right? Nice and thick and fluffy, lots of nutrients for that fertilized egg. 
In the vagina, the release of progesterone will cause um, small volumes of a thick cervical mucus to be secreted that is impenetrable, uh, impenetrable to sperm. This will um, protect the cervix from ascending infection at the time of implantation, but it also tells us that it is physiologically impossible to become pregnant after that four to 24 hour period that the egg is viable because now you are basically creating a plug or a cap that is impenetrable to, you know, ascending microorganisms, you know, viruses and bacteria and fungi and whatnot, but also to sperm as well. In terms of the brain, again, if you are someone who has a lot of anxiety or moodiness in the second half of your cycle, progesterone is going, it has the ability to bind to brain cell receptors and it will produce this antioxidant, like this more calming um, effect. It helps to bring down our anxiety because it activates neurotransmitters like GABA and it, interestingly, and this is something that I would see in the clinic a lot is it helps to also promote repair after a traumatic brain injury. So whenever I had women coming in with a concussion, I would ask them where in their menstrual cycle they were. And without a doubt, women who were injured in the follicular phase of their cycle, so weeks one or two, had better outcomes than my women who were injured in the luteal phase. And the reason for that is if you were injured in the follicular phase, you still had two full weeks coming to you, bathing your brain in progesterone. And this is what, you know, when we talk about promoting repair after injury, it does so by encouraging the growth and repair of the myelin sheath that protects the nerve fibers. Um, and it can also be involved in neurogenesis as well. So this is really, really important. So if you are someone who has had a concussion and you are a woman, um, it might be interesting to go back and try to figure out where you were in your menstrual cycle when you were injured. And that will that will affect your outcome because we, we want to be able to get that progesterone as quickly as we can to be bathing the brain so that you can benefit from them. Of course, any discussion about the body is not going to be complete if I don't talk about the musculoskeletal system. And of course, progesterone has a pivotal role in maintaining bone mass, right? So it does so by inhibiting these, these uh, or I should say, it does so by this anti-resorptive measure. So it is going to impact the activity of what we call osteoclasts. I've talked about these on the pod before. It's going to promote... Um, well, I should say it's going to downregulate osteoclasts such that you get more of an osteoblastic um, to a higher osteoblastic to clastic ratio. And it has many other, you know, cardiovascular system, immune system, the kidneys, the liver, all of these things are really, really important. Um, and I hope that you can see how important progesterone is because we often think about it as progestation, pro-pregnancy hormone. And of course it is, but if you don't ovulate and your, or your progesterone, progesterone levels are too low, you are literally affecting almost every organ, every tissue, every, you know, every system in your body from your bones, to your brain, to your breast, to your heart, to your vagina, your ovaries, all the places. Okay. So 
when we think about nutrition, so I've been breaking down this masterclass in sort of three different verticals. I'm kind of giving you the hormonal, the juicy bits, and then we're going to talk about nutritional considerations, movement considerations, and supplement uh, considerations as well. This is a beautiful time to return to a female-centric ketogenic diet like the Estima diet. Um, This would be a 70-20-10 split. Um, And we do this to honor the transient low estrogen levels initially in week three, and then of course, helping to improve estrogen metabolism in general. And so the only difference between this week and week one, because in week one of our masterclass, we talked about the benefit of having a ketogenic diet is the addition of something called resistant starches or sometimes referred to as prebiotic fibers. These are a food source for your microbiome in the large intestine. And this is really important because this is the week, you know, if you've been doing keto for a couple of weeks, it's week three or four where I found most women started to sort of hop off the keto bandwagon saying like, I don't care. I am not doing this anymore. Like give me a bagel and a, and a slice of bread. And I'm going to put the bagel in between the slices of bread and I'm going to eat it because I need carbs. Right. Um, so you can really quell these cravings with the addition of resistant starches to your diet. So resistant starches are things like green bagels, bananas, green plantains, or their equivalents in powder. You can also have raw potato starch. You can also do cold rice or cold potatoes. Those are also really good sources of resistant starches as well. And the reason why resistant starches are so magical for women is they produce a short chain fatty acid called Butyrate. Now there are other SCFAs like acetate and propionate, but the benefits of butyrate are particularly well researched. One of the things that it does is it provides fuel for the cells of our gut lining. So it supports immune system function of the colon as well and protects against certain diseases of the digestive tract. And when we think about, you know, the main fuel for the cells that line our gut, these are known as uh, colonocytes, they provide up to 90% of their energetic requirements. So butyrate is going to help these cells obviously fulfill their functions correctly to be able to be able to produce ATP and to maintain the integrity of the gut lining, which is uh, referred to as the, as the mucosa. And of course, impaired, there's been many studies that have looked at the relationship between impaired butyrate metabolism with mucosal damage and inflammation when patients with inflammatory bowel diseases, including ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. So butyrate is an incredibly important, um, incredibly important compound. And it's also, you know, the, the actions of butyrate have also been, um, is also being looked at to contri- as a role in preventing colorectal cancer and inflammation, reducing inflammation capacity of the gut. And of course, it creates an environment that allows the microbiome to exist within humans without stimulating this acute immune response. 
The other really cool thing that butyrate does, I, I could talk about butyrate forever, but it promotes the growth of villi, these microscopic, they're like uh, fingers. They're like little finger-like you know, extrusions that help line the intestine. And it enhances the production of mucin, which is basically a, um, it's like a gel-like substance and it coats, it's like a inner lining, like an in, it coats the inside of the lumen. And this is how... Um, we actually, we have something in our um, immune system or the helping maintain the integrity of the bowel wall known as the epithelial defense barrier. And that will pr- protect us or prevent um, aggressive or opportunistic bacteria and toxins and other substances from crossing from the gut into the bloodstream. So maintaining the integrity of this mucosin is really, really important and butyrate helps to promote that. And then lastly, uh, it's been shown to help uh, the cold, like the large intestine absorb electrolytes, obviously essential for many physiological functions, uh, including just like axon depolarization, like you need them to, in order for your nerves to, uh, your nerves to function. Um, But also, you know, preventing things like certain types of diarrhea, butyrate, you know, regulates colonic motility and the natural, like these are basically just like natural movements of the gut that move the food through it. And of course, um, to eventually help with its excretion. So bottom line is, I love butyrate. <laughs> okay. It's, you know, it's, it's a short chain fatty acid. It's produced when you consume resistant starches. It contributes in preventing colorectal cancer, it supports the villi, as I mentioned, and the mucin production. Um, really, really important for a fuel source for the gut lining. Like it's so great. I'm not even getting into, you know, the cravings that it attenuates, the sleep that it promotes, like all the great things. So, Keto this week for sure with the addition of resistant starches. And I outline this in detail in the Estima diet. So if you want to check out a little bit more about that, you can head over to hellobetty.club and you'll find not only our annual membership, but you'll also find the standalone product, the Estima diet, if you're interested in trying it. With respect to fasting, um, this is where it really depends on the on the person. So if you are someone who tends to run estrogen dominant, you want to be thinking about obviously improving your estrogen metabolism and your elimination of, it's like use it and then lose it. And that means gut integrity. So obviously the resistant starches are going to be important for you, but in the context of fasting, I tend to, with the with that type of, population. I tend to do more soups and broths, like a bone broth fast. Um, if there is a, a longer fast, a maximum of like 24 hour fast for, um, for women this week. And then of course you can pepper it with other intermittent fasts through the, you know, through the week as well. So like one 24 hour, if you're up for it. And then, you know, I like to let you choose what other kind of fast you like to do, whether it's a 12, 12 or 10, 14 or a 16, eight, uh, whatever feels good. I, I find I can, easily punch out a, a 10, 14 or a 16, eight. Um, it really depends on the amount of stress levels that I have, uh, what my sleep is like. Um, have I lost my voice? <laughs> uh, certainly, um, I know that, um, 
I will not be fasting for a long time um, this month, this cycle, because I've have I've had basically no voice, uh, which I know has been a stress to my body. So I just want to honor as I hear my voice cracking a little bit like a teenage boy <laughs> as I'm talking. Um, so yeah, so it's really going to depend on your monthly, uh, you know, what's going on for you that month. Now, if you're someone who is androgen dominant, we want to be, of course, driving towards better insulin regulation. So you can actually afford to do more of those more like aggressive fasts, like more of those what I call non-caloric liquid fasts uh, with one or more 24-hour fasts through the week, you know, depending on your fasting tolerance, the severity of your symptoms, again, your stress levels that week, all of that. So let's move on to movement. And we're, we're going to start with resistance training because that's where I think every woman should be designing her program with resistance training first, and then all other things happen after that. So returning again to this like eight to 12 rep range. So moderate weight to accommodate the change in estrogen levels, right? They're low in the beginning of week three, and then they rise towards the end of week three, just like they do in week one. So I would probably be closer to 12 reps in the beginning of the week. So slightly lighter in the weight. And then as estrogen is rising, again, anabolic hormone, and we've discussed its effects on our tendons and ligaments, um, I would be closer to eight reps by the end of the week. Now, estrogen doesn't have this meteoric rise like it does in week two. So in terms of cardio, you can kind of choose whatever you like here. Um, I say like no more than two HIIT training sessions per week. Um, And then I really like steady state like three to four times a week. But that's my sort of personal preference if you're doing doing cardio at all. Um, But I would say definitely choose whatever steady state um, you like. You can either either alternate between steady state or HIIT. So sort of it's like an a la carte menu for you this week for your cardio selection. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. And I didn't mention supplements. We'll talk about supplements as well. Um, this week, I definitely want to be changing the supplementation. So we were talking last week about magnesium being about 400 uh, milligrams daily. I would up it to at least 600, at least if she can tolerate it. And maybe even more, you know, so I've pushed, um, I have certain clients that I'll I'll try to push up to about 800 milligrams if I suspect that they are magnesium deficient, if they have a lot of uh, PMS type of symptoms. Uh, And there's a couple of other qualifiers that will help me determine whether or not I can increase magnesium that high. But typically I'll kind of push it toward until I start to see any GI symptoms like loose stools or cramping. And then you can, you can bring it back. You can pull it in a little tighter from there. 
Um, I also like berberine. I think that this is a powerful glucose regulator. Uh, taking berberine 20 to 30 minutes before a meal can really help the postprandial glucose response. So somewhere between, you know, it's going to vary, but um, you know, on the person and on the, on their size and on their age, but somewhere between 300 to 500 milligrams, 20 to 30 minutes before meal can really help. And this is, you know, we are in the luteal phase now. So we are starting to become a bit more insulin, uh, resistant. So this is going to help, uh, improve our insulin sensitivity somewhat. If she's complaining of inflammation, I would also be adding in some curcumin at one to up to three grams daily and omega-3s I would keep consistent. And you'll notice that I don't have a lot of supplements. Um, a lot of people say, well, what about DIM and what about Vitex? And, and there, those have a time and a place if there is, you know, hormonal derangement, but I could be here all day talking about all the different, you know, protocols and um, recommendations that I have based on those. But these are like a really strong foundation for any woman, irrespective of her age, making sure she has consistent omega-3s, like two grams daily, making sure that... Um, she's upping her magnesium slightly, um, at least up to 600 milligrams. And of course, if you are complaining or if you have, um, not complaining, that's the, that's, that's actually the wrong word. We use that when we're talking about patients. What's the patient's primary complaint? You're not complaining in the, in the pejorative sense where, you know, we're like, oh God, our patients are complaining, but this is the primary issue. If you're, if you have a complaint of inflammation, like you feel that you are inflamed then the curcumin one to three grams daily would be appropriate. And then I would also start in adding in berberine as well. Today we are doing our final installment and we're talking about week four. So this is the week before our bleed week. And in week four, generally as an overall strategy, whether we're talking about nutrition or movement or our emotional health, we want to be working towards a few days of rest and recovery and reflection towards the end of that week. Now, from a hormonal perspective, and from a physiological perspective, there is a lot of substrate now being thrown into the endometrial lining. So when we're talking about this from a nutrition, we'll get to nutrition in a moment, but generally I want to up calories by 10 to 15%. And I also want to change her macros again to look like it did in week two. So if you recall last week in week three, we were talking about a 70-20-10 with the addition of resistant starches. And this week we are returning to that 40-40-20, 40 fat, 40 protein, 20% carbohydrates. And generally, when we look at women this week, we have an increased appetite, we have food cravings, and we have generally, you know, a, an increase in caloric intake. And that is associated with cyclical changes in serotonin during this period. And it's also accompanied by decreasing amino acid levels and elevated nitrogen utilization. So we talked a little bit about this last week, but this decrease in amino acid plasma levels that are observed in this luteal phase, particularly in this week four, is associated with 
progesterone and progesterone's upregulation of the associated protein biosynthesis that's required for the endometrial lining so that it can prepare the uterus for pregnancy. In other words, progesterone is making sure that the endometrial lining is big and fluffy, right? And for that, in, in anticipation of this fertilized egg. And this is why I like to return to this 40-40-20, because we have a higher energetic expenditure in, in week three and four, but in particular week four, there's a bit of a frenzied upregulation in energetic expenditure. And we will often compensate by eating more in uh, this week, particularly protein. We'll also see this across the board with other macronutrients. So we'll see lipids decreased um, relative to the follicular phase, suggesting obviously a higher utilization of fatty acids for lipid or steroid synthesis, um, or, you know, just an increase in fat absorption. So kind of back to the hormonal picture, if you will, at the beginning of week four, end of week three, progesterone has likely peaked, right? So somewhere around day 19 to 22 or so, we see this peak in progesterone. And then around the middle of week four, we will see a sudden drop in both progesterone and estrogen. And this is because there is the body realizes, okay, there's no fertilized egg here. Now we have to actually scrap this endometrial lining and we have to start again because we want a fresh endometrial lining to be able to receive this fertilized egg. So the endometrial lining becomes ischemic, which means no oxygen is getting there. And we will get eventually, you know, the shedding of that lining. And that's the first day of your period. Now, this is a really, I think this is a portal, an energetic portal week. This is a potentially a clinical glimpse into what menopause might look like for this woman. So we see, you know, if you're looking at it, it's like a mini menopause in these last couple of days in week four. There's a sudden drop in her sex hormones. And of course, if she doesn't have her ducks in order, the symptoms that she experiences in the day before, you know, the days or, you know, three days or so, one to three days before her period will very likely be amplified through her perimenopausal and menopausal years. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, of course, you know that there are many strategies that we discuss with both thought leaders and in our Geeky Magic series around weightlifting, around nutrition, around stress. And these are, you know, sort of the three main verticals that any woman, irrespective of her age, but particularly my perimenopausal and menopausal women, we want to be paying attention to because we want to make sure that your perimenopausal experience and your menopausal experience can be as beautiful as possible. Because one of the things that I, you know, this is a separate topic, but I'm just going to say it anyway, because I just can't keep it in is so for so many of us in society, we have been taught that our lives end at menopause, that our sexuality ends at menopause, that we are no longer useful. To which I say, screw you, patriarchy, because this is the full moon of a woman's life. This is when she is just getting started. So the problem is, of course, is that we've been told that we are crones and we are hags and we are, you know, all these different words, which actually used to have different meanings. We'll get into um, some of the different, uh, we'll, we'll eventually get here because this is, you know, this is show is geeky magic. We're going to keep it a little geek today, uh, but I definitely want to, I want to definitely step 
step into the magic side of things and talk a little bit about a woman's power. And so a woman's menopausal years, I think, is a time for her to really bloom. This is the summer of her life. And we can do that through some of these strategies that we're talking about. But we also want to be considering her emotional well-being and effing the patriarchy and saying, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to look like the badass self that I am when I'm 60, when I'm 70, when I'm however old. And we're going to we're gonna really redefine what aging means because there is, again, sort of a toxic view around aging that I won't get into today, um, but I will in a future geeky magic, I promise. Okay, so let's go into nutrition. <laughs> it's a nice segue, wasn't it? Uh, so, you know, I mentioned returning to that 40-40-20. Uh, so 40 fat, 40 protein, 20% carbohydrate. And that higher protein count is going to help. It's going to be satiating. It's going to help to curve cravings that a woman might be feeling in this time. And then also the doubling of the carbohydrates is going to help to quell her cravings as well assuming that she's consuming plants that have, you know, a low lectin load that are not causing inflammation and of course have lots and lots of fiber that is also very satiating. As I mentioned, I also like to increase calories this week and let's just for a moment cut those energetic cords that I just felt you have, you shiver, as I said, you're going to eat more Um, because I, I know that this can be scary. Again, this has been programmed in women for us to always be on a diet, for us to be thriving on some stupid 1200 calorie a day you know, diet. We want to eat like rabbits. Like, okay. Again, another subject. I feel myself wanting to step onto the podium and scream about this, but I'm going to, I'm going to contain myself and we'll do it another time. 1200 calories, by the way, never a good idea for no one, unless you are 95 with 50% body fat, that might be, that might be appropriate. But if you are anything but that 1200 calories is starvation. And let me just remind you that when you eat less, when you are eating these 1200 calorie garbage diets, um, and, I know, and while I know that it's scary to even think about increasing your calories, because the first thing that you think is like, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight, I'm going to gain fat. But when you reduce your calories, your body will instinctively start preparing for a famine in several ways. So the first way is that your basal metabolic rate, your BMR is going to decline. That is basically the amount of energy that you need to live while at rest, like not doing anything. So when we think about this in terms of uh, calories in, calories out, right? This is the thermodynamic balance of whether or not we increase our overall weight, decrease our overall weight or maintain it. Decreasing your BMR is going to reduce the energy out, right? It's going to reduce calories out. Exercise, of course, is going to become more difficult because you have less available energy and you're likely to burn fewer calories through that activity as well, even if it's the same activity that you may have been doing on a higher, you know, with a higher caloric load. You will expend less energy through the exercise because as your body gets smaller, it doesn't require as much fuel and your metabolism is also going to adapt to make you more efficient. So this will reduce the number of calories that you burn through movement, which, oh my God, is so frustrating, right? If you're like putting your heart out and you are, you know, if you are going at those weights, your body is going to downregulate the amount of energy out. And of course, we know that as you kind of get closer to your you know, set point or your, let's say five to 10 pounds within your weight goal, you may also inadvertently start using up proteins in your muscle as a fuel source instead of your adipocytes. And this is particularly true for women who we know naturally hold on to fat more aggressively than men do. 
of course, you know, you are going to, when you are eating less, you know, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your NEAT reduces generally. And also, again, as, as it does in the workout, you are going to reduce the energy output from that NEAT activity, like walking and gardening and things like that. And the other thing that happens is your digestion slows. So your body can absorb as many nutrients as possible. So this will actually increase the energy in, the calories in. And I'm telling you this because I know that so many women, when I say, I want you to increase your calories, they literally shiver. Like they literally freeze and like, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about reverse dieting or increasing your metabolic adaptation another time. But metabolic adaptation works both ways. So there is a um, phenomenon known as adaptive thermogenesis, which basically means that your body uh, wastes calories as heat in a fed state. So when you increase your caloric intake, of course, it's going to provide you know, several metabolic benefits, your BMR is going to rise, right? So resulting in more energy out, your workout capacity increases, right? You have more substrate, you have more energy to increase that energetic output. That's going to not only increase your lean muscle mass, which is going to raise your BMR, but it's also going to increase that energy out. Your NEAT also increases non-exercise activity thermogenesis for the very same reason, because you have more substrate available. You'll feel like walking. You won't get as tired. You won't avoid it and sit in your chair all day. And then your digestion is going to return to normal. So now your GI tract is no longer squeezing every bit of sustenance from every morsel of food, right? So there's going to be a bit more waste um, that happens. So... All this to say, don't be afraid to increase your calories. And ladies, if you are eating a 1200 calorie diet, girl, we got to, we got to chat. And I I will probably put some geeky magic resources together for you in terms of how you can slowly, but surely increase your metabolic um, adaptation without necessarily increasing your uh, fat percentage uh, as well. But that's a different, different topic, but it's just something that seems to be coming up in my life a lot. I coach, um, doctors who are all reporting the same thing to me, the, you know, the patients that they're seeing, they're all so afraid of doing anything but 1200 calories. They have pregnant patients who are trying to adhere to this crazy diet. And, um, it really irks me. It makes me really sad because that tells me that women are so afraid. You know, we, we just, we have tethered our worth to our weight and, you know, you can be the body composition that you have is far more important than the weight on a scale. So I just wanted to say that this week is like almost like a mini refeed, right? It's going to help stimulate your metabolism, get you into fat burning and give you more of that energetic substrate so that you can actually crush your workouts and you have more energy to do your daily activity and your digestion and your BMR are going to improve as well. So as we talked about in week three, we were talking about the addition of resistant starches. I think that that is a great idea to continue this week. And fasting, you know, since we're on the topic of nutrition, usually uh, I typically do it a shorter duration. I am generally hungrier. I have found most women to report the same. They are generally hungrier this week. You know, your metabolic output is higher this week. So I will usually stick to a lighter, you know, if you are going to be fasting more of a time-restricted eating model, like a 12-12, a 10-14 
Nothing, nothing necessarily more um, than that. So thinking about movement, I, uh, I love to train all throughout my cycle. So in week four, I am still lifting weights, but the way that I lift the weights changes. So what happens is the first three weeks, generally it has been somewhere between five and 12 repetitions, right? So, you know, week one and three, we're doing eight to 10 reps. Week two, we're doing five to eight. So heavy to moderate weights. This week, I tend to lighten up the load, but I do a higher rep count. So it might be in the 15 to 20 rep range, you know, 15 to 20 reps, four sets of each exercise. And we're still working the muscle, not quite to fatigue, but generally very close to that. And the other thing, of course, is that which with each muscular contraction, we are also generating myokines. And this is why you can lift weights in, an, in a vast majority of ways and still get the metabolic benefits of weightlifting. It doesn't always have to be five reps. It doesn't always have to be. And I actually rarely see women only lifting five reps. I I always see them doing the 12 to 15 rep range all the way through their cycle without any adaptation or any consideration for our hormones. But you can absolutely bring the muscle to almost fatigue by lightening the load and increasing the rep. And when we talk about why myokines of course are important is it's myokines are, you know, one of several hundred cytokines, which are produced and released by the skeletal muscles um, in response to muscular contractions. So they are really interesting because they have autocrine, paracrine and endocrine um, effects. And when we actually look through the body, myokines are found, uh, you know, uh, receptors for myokines are found on the muscle, uh, on the adip- uh, on, in the fat, liver, pancreas, bones, heart, immune system, brain. It's like, hello, we're everywhere. And, you know, the, the location of, you know, when we look at how many myokine receptors we have throughout the entire body, of course, that reflects that myokine, myokines are important, but that they also have multiple functions. So one of the most obvious ones is obviously the exercise associated metabolic changes that we see um, following, you know, training, and they will also help to participate in tissue regeneration and repair, um, immunomodulation, and all a whole bunch of different things. But myokines are really important. And so I wanted to bring this up because even at the 12 to 15 rep range, you're still getting that myokine release. But in week four, energetically, it can be sometimes difficult to continue lifting heavy, but you can still profit from the benefits that weightlifting will give you if you just change up the way that you train to honor the hormonal and metabolic and physiological changes that are happening this week. So lift weights, ladies. Uh, Cardio is also great here. Um, It can be really anything. Steady state um, is great. Um, And it can also be um, high intensity interval training. I would say that most women will prefer steady state this week to hit. But if you are somebody who loves to have that really, uh, you know, euphoric rush that comes from high intensity interval training, it's great this week too, especially towards the end of the week with that declining estrogen. And we've talked about the estrogenergic effects on our tendons and our ligaments. So as estrogen declines, um, it has a protective effect in some ways on our ligaments because they're not as lax. And just as a general note for steady state. So I love steady state cardio. Um, I typically, you know, truth be told, I, I 
I tend to back out of cardio this week. I just honestly, in week four, don't feel like it. Like I much prefer my weights this week, uh, working them to fatigue with that lighter load. But um, steady state should never be longer than 60 minutes to 70, like 75 minutes is the absolute upper, upper range that I would recommend for any cardio session, because after that, it really does flip into this pro-inflammatory state. And I say this with love, but all my marathon runners, like they all look like they're about to die all the time because they are running for hours and hours on end, not to mention the, the gravitational and the mechanical forces that degenerate the knee, the hip, the ankle that we see over the long term um, with these long term runners. So, uh, and if you're, you know, if you've watched the Olympics as I have uh, in the past couple of weeks and you look at the difference between the 5,000 meter runners and the sprinters, you know, of course, there's going to be training that is different for them, but the body composition is just, you have the 5,000 meter, uh, individuals, they just are all skin and bones, like just very, very thin and your sprinters are muscular and beautiful. So just, um, just something to keep in, into consideration. But if you want to do cardio this week, you know, any, any cardio is great. I typically, you know, don't do as I do, but I typically don't do cardio this week because I don't enjoy cardio as much as I enjoy weights. There's absolutely no scientific reasoning behind that other than just my personal um, preference. All right, let's talk a little bit about the emotional well-being and the emotional and mental state of a woman this week. And this is what I was saying when I talked about this energetic portal. This is a really special week. And it is because of something called a negativity bias. Now this week, particularly towards the end of week four, things are going to annoy you this week. So people are going to get on your nerves. Like you, you're not going to want to people this week, right? Your husband's going to be annoying you. Your partner's going to be, your kids, your friends, your mother, whoever. Um, and what I would ask you to do, if you feel so called to do so, is to notice what you notice without judgment, without judgment for yourself without judgment for the person, because this is a special time of the month where you are naturally biased to view things in a more negative light. And this is partially due to the serotonin change. We have a change in serotonin and dopamine towards the end of the week. But the the really cool thing about this week is that it provides clues to where you may be unsatisfied in your life, Right. It is, it is almost a way for your soul to speak to you. You know, maybe your job is really weighing you down and you might be able to just punch through it, put your head down and kind of get over it during your follicular phase, but it really weighs on you in these few days before your period. You know, maybe there's a conversation that you need to have with a coworker, your boss, a partner, your child. So... The beauty of this week is that it allows you to figure out the things that are bothering you the most that you just don't have tolerance for. And if you can observe them without judgment, you know, whether it's a person or yourself, just saying this is, it is what it is. This will help you highlight almost like a highlighter on the page. What are some of the things you might consider changing? in the next cycle, in the next 28 to 29 days, this next cycle in your life. And next week, when you begin menstruating, 
this is a really good time to figure out how you're going to solve these issues that have come up in this next 28 or 29 day cycle. This negativity bias is a highlighter, right? I love this idea of like the highlighter on the page of what's wrong and the bleed week will help you problem solve it. And I love this so much because so often we dismiss these symptoms, right? This like, you're getting annoyed with your husband. You're like, oh, this is stupid PMS. Like, God, it's like this curse for being a woman. Like, I'm so hormonal this week. Like, these are these derogatory terms that we talk about uh, ourselves with. But this is our divine gift. These couple of days is a portal to our mother energy. Not your biological mother, but your own mother energy within you, that nurturing, loving, all-encompassing, non-judgmental woman within you. And so often we want to stay the maiden, right? We always want to stay helpless, forever young and naive and delegating our responsibility and our roles and our lives to someone else. And this, these days are so wonderful to sit with. They are the energetic portal into our mother energy. Another, another way I've often referred to this mother energy is our queen energy instead of our princess energy, which is just forever young, naive, you know, needs to, needs to feel protected rather than being the queen who is, um, you know, the almighty, all seeing, all loving, you know, does what's right. And this is about identifying the problem and how you might go about solving it. And, you know, if you remember in chess, the, um, the queen is the most important part, right? It's the most important player and she can move in all directions, forward, backward, diagonal, um, and, uh, you know, not throwing shade on, on chess, but you know, the king moves one at a time, right? It doesn't move in the same capacity that the queen does. And, let me tell you, in case you forgot, you are a queen and you are the almighty mother. The divine feminine lives within you. The kingdom of heaven lives within you here and now. Okay. I just caught myself getting up on my little soapbox there. I could go on and on about the princess versus the queen, the mother versus the maiden. Uh, if you want more of that, you know, please let me know. I would love, 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 uh, to dive deeper in that. You know, you know, I love the science, right. But I also love the magic and, you know, hence the name of the show is geeky magic. So it's, you know, where geek meets magic. And that's what I think really, it, you know, when we think about our cycle in total, it is geek meets magic, right? It had, we have all of these hormonal ebbs and flows. We have the menstrual phase, the bleed week, the shedding. We have the, you know, the development of the follicle, the follicular phase, the expansion. And then we have the contraction after ovulation, you know, the internal, uh, tending to our internal terrain and figuring out what it is that our soul wants and having that portal to be able to speak to our soul and allowing our body and our mind to highlight for us what are some of the things that are not working. So with that in mind, I hope that you have enjoyed this masterclass, this four series masterclass. Please leave me a review on iTunes. Let me know if you like this, what else you would love to see. Um, I would personally love to do more of the divine feminine and the princess and the queen energy and how we can all begin to 
um, reclaim and remember who it is that we actually are as women. Um, but I will do that uh, through and I will follow you, my Betty. So if you want more of that, I'm here for it. If you want more of the science, I always got the science. We can do the science all day long. So uh, let me know what you love, um, what you loved about this little mini series. Um, on iTunes, you can leave a review. You can always just leave a five-star rating as well. I believe Spotify also has a, um, a rating system there as well. So if you're listening on Spotify, please leave, leave me a review there. And until next time, I hope you have a blessed last week. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers, advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 